0: Update. It's also FOMC meeting announcement today. I know everybody's just sitting on pins and needles, waiting for Jerome Powell. Actually, that's true because everybody's wondering what's (laughs) what's he going to say this time. Of course, remember the last time that we heard from Jerome Powell was back at the end of September. uh, Sorry, the end of August, talking at, at the Jackson Hole summit, saying. Well, you know, we're going to be hiking rates a lot more aggressively than what the markets had thought and talking about the fact that what was most important, even despite a slowdown in the economy to below trend growth, they were OK with that as long as they got inflation under control. So the issue today is, is 75 basis points or 100 basis points. Wells Fargo out this morning say, man, just rip the bandaid off, do 150 basis points, get it over with. That's not going to happen. Um, but, you know, that's kind of where we are. People are just getting frustrated right now with markets. Here's the important thing about all of this, though. The Fed will come out today, probably raise uh, rates by 75 basis points. Um, they'll also maintain that language of fighting inflation. That's going to be their real focus uh, for the time being the dot plot which will come out this afternoon as well now this is the voting members all suggesting their kind of their points right so that's all the little dots that are on the screen Uh, that should show you basically that the fed is planning on raising rates to four to four and a half percent uh into 2023 and then staying there until 2024. now why is that important is because uh, Goldman Sachs and others are all expecting the Fed to start cutting rates by May of 23, and the Fed is not saying that at all. So again, markets uh, keep tending to get ahead of the Fed, and that's where, uh, as we talked about a little bit yesterday, um, you know, going into the Jackson Hole Summit, you know, the, Jerome Powell scrapped his speech and came out with a short prepared statement, basically smacking the market upside the head, saying, hey, listen to what I'm telling you. Listen to the words coming out of my mouth. That's what the, you know, Jerome Powell is trying to tell the markets. And markets did listen. And, of course, we did have that sell-off. Now, that was following that very sharp rally that we had going back uh, you know, in June and July and early August. Completely reversed the majority of that. Now, um, you know, markets yesterday did sell off a bit in anticipation of today's announcement. Good news is though, of course, markets continue to hold that support line going back to May low. So we haven't violated that yet. And we're still trying to hold on that support. So markets are are kind of, you know, trying to figure out what the Fed's going to do. We continue to kind of push down on these oversold conditions. Now, um, markets tend to rally the day of and the day after the Fed announcement. So you know, We'll see if we can get a little bit of a lift here uh, later this afternoon after the Fed announcement. Uh, if they come out kind of just a status quo, wouldn't surprise me to see markets kind of rally just a bit. Again, kind of start building in hopes that, okay, they got another 75 basis points out of the way. We're closer to terminal rate. That's where they're, they're going to stop. Maybe they'll stop sooner, uh, potentially get some of that kind of bullish attitude coming in. The markets get a little bit of a lift today. Um, certainly just be a bit of a relief after this kind of just, you know, exacerbated selling. You know, we've talked about this previously back in this June, uh, this July-August rally that we had. We talked about buying stampedes at the time and saying that we've had a very long buying stampede in the markets. Well, now we've got a fairly long selling stampede uh, in the market as well. So again, markets always kind of ebb and flow and i know that during these kind of sell-offs you kind of get frustrated it's like oh the market's never going up again you know i know that's that's easy to kind of fall in that trap just remember markets do kind of ebb and flow over time so again you're going to have rallies you're going to have declines you're going to have rallies declines now the, the volatility is certainly a lot bigger this year than what we were accustomed to over the last couple of years but that's not surprising either periods and we wrote articles about this on our website If you go to our website and Google volatility in the search bar, um, I wrote several articles talking about how periods of low volatility are followed by periods of higher volatility. And that's obviously what we have going on this year. So it's not fun at all, um, but that's just the way markets work. And we just need to understand that doesn't mean that, you know, you just kind of give up the ghost and, and quit investing altogether. It's just part of the cycle that we're in right now. We'll get through this. And things will get better on the other side. We just got to get through this. That's the that's the big thing. And more importantly, get through this in one piece. That's the, <laughs> that's even the bigger issue. So um, Danny Ratliff, we joined him this morning. We got a few topics to get through um, as well. So we'll talk more a little bit more about the Federal Reserve this morning. The, the, but the other kind of uh, important point here is I, I do want to talk very briefly um, about t- the uh, bonds right now because bonds are and, and Jeff Gunlack yesterday, of course. Now, Jeff Gunlack is the CEO and, and head bond trader for Double Line. And of course, Doubleline is one of the, of the largest bond fund bond funds in the world. And Jeff Gunlack runs that, and, and generally he has a very good pulse on what's happening in the mortgage markets as well as, as, as corporate bond markets and, and treasury markets noting yesterday that bonds are extremely cheap relative to stocks. And he's he's absolutely right about this. We've talked about this for a while. Uh, Bonds have been continuing to kind of build a base along this very oversold condition level that we've got. And and, and bonds have been opening down in the morning and there's been a good bit of buying happening in the bond market all day long. We're very close to triggering a buy signal as well. So one of the things that, you know, is always important, and I know people get frustrated with stuff, but in 2020, that was where we had, you know, kind of neg- negative energy prices, oil stocks under a tremendous amount of pressure. Nobody wanted to own energy stocks. Of course, that has turned out to be one of the best asset classes to be invested in. That's the way markets work. Bonds have had the biggest drawdown since seven, like 1798, something like that. So it's been a huge bear market for bonds this year. And as historically is always the case, one thing to remember is that when you have big bear markets in any asset class, that's generally a very good buying opportunity. So why will bonds go up eventually? That's because we're gonna have much slower rates of economic growth. The Fed's already told you that's what they want. They're gonna bring down inflation that told they they're they're telling you exactly what their plan is and if inflation comes down and economic growth slows bond yields go up it's just a function of where money flows to in the economy but yields and inflation have a very close correlation with each other in the long term so if the fed's whole target is to bring down inflation what asset class is going to do better in falling inflationary environment That's bonds, right? So just, you know, always try to remember that, yeah, in the heat of the moment, things certainly can suck. And that's really (laughs) been the market this entire year. Uh, There's been nothing fun about the market this year. But these very oversold uh, opportunities that exist provide really great buying opportunities for the future. But again, you know, if you wait to to look back at the fact and go yeah bonds did great last year you know well you kind of missed it that's the whole point so you know be careful but jeff Gondlick, uh making some really good points this morning about uh, relative to stocks bonds are trading extremely cheaply and again in if the fed does make a policy mistake which is a rising possibility now because as they more aggressively hike rates that really brings in the risk as we talked about yesterday of a policy mistake. In a policy mistake, money will rotate from risk on assets, stocks, into risk off assets, which are treasuries. So just keep that in mind. All right. Take a quick break. We're going to come back. Lots of stuff to get into this morning with Danny Radliff. who will be joining me here in just one second. But be sure to get by the website. Our latest blog post is out uh, yesterday. Michael Leibwitz's blog post is out today. That's on the website right now under the Insights tab. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Stick around. We'll be right back for more of The Real Investment Show. Don't go away.
1: news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. If your portfolio looks more like a horror show, you won't want to miss our next Candid Coffee on dealing with bloody markets. No tricks, just treats from Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff with some not-so-spooky ideas to budgeting and how to maximize your cash. Don't be spooked by markets or Danny's bathroom on our next Candid Coffee, Saturday, October 1st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
0: And welcome back to the show this morning, six seventeen. Uh, Danny Ratliff joining us this morning. Danny, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning. Doing great. How about you? It's doing good, good. It's doing good. Uh, you know what happens? You know, you know diets. Right, you know yep. the problem with diets is that you, you know, when you're on a diet, you deprive yourself of stuff that you really want, right? And you know, then you build up a craving for that thing you're depriving yourself of, right? I don't know if you saw this in the media yesterday. The COO of Beyond Meat, of course, you know, this is the meat substitute, winds up biting the nose of a guy he gets in a scuffle with. So, yeah, how <laughs> ironic. <laughs> yeah. So. Got to keep those cravings under control, right? That's all I'm
2: saying. It's turning people to cannibalism. I mean, <laughs> I
0: know it's funny because all the all the images that are running around. There's a meme running around, of course, of this. It's Hannibal Lecter with a mask on. <laughs> so, oh man, that's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, um, lots of stuff to get into this morning. Just talking a little bit about the FOMC a few minutes ago, and and um, you know that is that that rate hike announcement will come out this afternoon. Uh, again, kind of the large expectation of this is a 75 basis point hike fed could surprise um of course and do a one percent hike but with the you know i don't suspect that'll happen i'm not saying it can't happen i'm not saying it won't happen but there's already signs that inflationary pressures are starting to come down so uh, probably i would expect that the fed is going to kind of even hiking at 75 basis points is still very hawkish and that's still aggressive that's an aggressive rate hike so but with signs of inflationary pressures starting to ease in the economy we're seeing rental rates uh starting to come down you know one of the 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 big you know problems coming up is that rental rates are going to plummet here in the course of the next couple of years because there's a huge uh oversupply of rental properties getting built right now everybody's running out building multifamily apartments And there's, of course, as always, you know, we saw this back a couple of years ago with commercial real estate in Houston. We had like 6 million extra square feet in Houston and and that collapsed pretty quickly. So, um, but this is always, it's always the base case of supply and demand and economics. And right now there's a huge amount of apartments, multifamily units getting built right now. That's gonna lead to a supply glut. Then of course, once you have a supply glut, then prices are gonna fall. So we're gonna see a, a good bit of that change here over the course of of the next uh, couple of months. But that's going to bring down, again, that homeowner's equivalent rent. Part of that is uh, an equation based on home prices, what homeowners can can think they can rent their house out for, and then also some of the actual rental data. So as that rental data starts to decline, we're going to start to see one of the largest components of inflation decline which is that homeowner's equivalent rent and that that's drives a very large chunk of the inflation calculation so very likely the fed is is a fed's aware of this by the way um i'm not telling you anything they don't know um but so that's why we think it's a real probability that they're going to stay with 75 basis points today probably 50 basis points at the next two meetings and again, what their dot plot's going to show is probably a terminal rate between four and four and a quarter percent going into next year. So that's going to be the question. Now, now, the big issue for the markets is when is the Fed going to reverse their rate hikes and start doing a, a rate reduction? A lot of Wall Street currently expecting them to start doing that in 2023 by mid-2023. The Fed's telling you that's not going to happen until the earliest 2024. Um, but, of course, that's all subject to recession issues, uh, credit events, et cetera. So if something like that happens, then they will be cutting rates sooner than what their dot plot says. So that's kind of the the, the brief overview. Danny, what are your thoughts real quick before we move well, on? Well, I, I
2: think it's interesting to, to note, and right now we've discussed that there hasn't been any big credit events as of yet. So the, as you mentioned, the exogenous events, we have not seen that as occur. Now, higher interest rates could certainly expose those types of problems, and I think what most people are struggling with is, like you mentioned earlier in the last segment, okay, you know, energy was, was not in vogue, and then it became one of the best asset classes. Same thing goes for bonds. And, and so many people are struggling with the idea of you know, where do you invest in bonds? Rates are going to continue to go higher and higher. Uh, I think everybody's waiting for the meeting minutes today. Okay, what does Jerome Powell say mm-hmm. you know, beyond just what is the rate hike? Right. And so what you mentioned um, this being a good investment you know what do you see this how do you see this playing out
0: well uh, you know the issues that we were talking about in the first segment a little bit you know jeff gunlight just talking about how bonds are uh, extremely cheap relative mm-hmm. to equities and he's right um you've had a major bear market in bonds yields are up and for the first time in you know the last you know five six seven eight years uh there is now an alternative you know tina was the big thing there is no alternative well TINA's now there is now an alternative which is is bonds and you know, people are going to make a lot of mistakes here. Um, they're going to do a couple of things. One, they're going to, you know, people are going to run out by two-year treasuries, go, oh, I'm getting 4% on treasuries, and that's great. And then I'll, then the market's going to correct. You're going to have a bear market bottom and stocks. Stocks are going to start to rally fairly sharply. And then you're going to be trying to get out of your treasuries to go back and buy stocks to completely miss the whole turn. So if you're going to, you know, buy treasury money, that's fine. Just make sure you're willing to hold it till maturity and, you know, collect your 4%, be happy about it. That's, that's fine. Um, just, you know, be, as, as always happens with individuals, you know, just a, a year or so ago, people were running out buying, you know, treasury inflation protected bonds. And those yields have just continued to drop. The price of tips have dropped. It's been a terrible, pretty much a terrible investment for people, people running out to buy gold. That's not worked out well, you know, in anticipation of inflation. So, you know, things don't always seem as simple as they are. On the surface and again you know you buying it's kind of like you know being on that diet right <laughs> it's like hey I'll go out and it just you know'll I'll, I'll get off my vegan diet and go eat a steak real quick you know there's there's yeah you know, there's consequences for that generally your body doesn't like that <laughs> initially so you know this is what's going to happen uh, with markets so just make sure that your whatever moves you make you're willing to stick with that move until maturity because that's where you're going to be hanging out Um, But on the longer end of the curve, which is what the Fed does not control, uh, that's where the real opportunity lies. So that's where 10-year treasuries, 30-year treasuries are going to make a lot of money over the course of the next several years. As inflation comes down, economic growth slows, uh, you get into a recession, that's where you want to be headed. You don't want to be on the short end of the curve because as the short end of the curve uninverts, the long end prices will go up as yields drop. And so you want to be on the long end of the curve, not the short end of the curve, because that's where you're going to make all your money. If you're trapped in the two year or under uh, range, yes, you'll get your four percent, but you're going to see a big capital appreciation in long duration bonds. And you're not going to get that. And you're going to go, what did I just do with my money? Well, but I think that's
2: okay to be in short as long as you understand, you know, like you said, you may be stuck in it for a moment. And and that's kind of the idea behind it, because we can, you know, okay, where else do you put funds right now? Especially if you want flexibility for the future. So the is, long end of the curve, I think one of the things that's interesting that I think many people have sh- struggled with is that what, when you're investing, you know, and what the Fed is doing today, what impact does that have on the long end of the curve? So, for instance, like a long-term bond.
0: Well, the Fed has no impact on that. Yeah, it's that's more going to be saying. based on it's, the economy and inflation. It, yeah. Right, yeah. So that's what I'm saying is like the only thing the Fed controls is the short end of the curve. Yeah. So, so here, let's, let's do an example, Right. So if I'm buying bonds right now, I'm not buying two years, I'm buying three-month bonds, right? Because I can just roll those every three months and I don't have to worry about getting trapped into a long-duration bond. So I I don't want to be trapped in a two-year bond at 4% if we get into a recession. Because at that point, the Fed's going to be cutting rates, so that, that, that yield is going to be stuck there. But as they cut rates the money's going to flow into the long end of the bond curve because inflation and economic growth is slowing and money's moving into safety and long duration. So that's where all your cap. So you're going to make 30 to 40% capital appreciation on your long end of your bond curve. And you're not going to make anything on your short end. So that's what I'm saying. You don't want, you want to be real careful not to trap yourself chasing yield. And this is, this is all people are doing right now. It's like, Oh, I'm just going to go buy a two year treasury, screw everything else. I'm gonna go do that. That's fine. You're chasing yield. But you're going to put yourself in a really bad box because you're not going to be able to to make that switch in time to catch the other end of the cycle when it occurs because it'll occur very quickly.
2: But that could be okay, too, if you miss part of the downturn and you, you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to wait for a confirmation of the trend.
0: Yeah, but you won't do that. No. I mean, this is why people are coming to us now that haven't been in the market since 2009, right? Yeah. And this is look, it's all psychological. What will happen is, is we come out of this bear market and you can go, oh, well – this is a rally. It'll go back down. I'll sell my bonds and I'll buy the dip. And then the market's going to keep going. to keep going. The Fed's going to cut rates. They're going to do QE. Stocks are going to keep going. And And that pullback you keep looking for isn't going to happen. Yeah. Not to a degree that you're comfortable in buying it. Everything will be back to it's overbought. It's extended. It's overvalued. And,
2: you know. Well, the problem is with the pullback, nobody wants to buy that anyways.
0: Right. So that's what I'm saying. It's all psychological. Yeah. But, that's what, but the whole point is is there's nothing wrong with buying two-year treasuries. Just don't lock yourself in that position because when the time comes to make the switch, you're going to have to make that switch regardless of what your cost basis is. You know, if you have to sell it at a loss, you've got to sell it at a loss. That's just going to be yeah. part of the deal to make the switch.
2: Yeah, it makes so. money management just a little bit harder.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But again, it's just you know, these are those psychological impacts that people get themselves into and the psychological kind of behavioral traps right it's like you know oh, i'm here i'm good for right now then the market takes off oh that's just it's just a rally it'll fail and it's going to go lower i'm good where i am and then it keeps going and you kind of keep watching the market and now you're at, you're at this four percent yield and you can even though you said you were okay at four as long as i get four percent of my money i hear this all the time if i can just get four percent of my money i'm good yeah that's fine until the market's up 20 and then you're going why didn't i get that 20 yeah. right that's just human nature
2: no, it is, and I think that's the difficult aspect of, of it all. Everybody says that 4% is good until it's not. Mm-hmm. And you know, thinking about market cycles and, and really where we are and where we're going, I think most people are expecting to find out, oh, look, everything is great. We get this great presentation from the Fed that says how strong the economy is. And then the market goes up when it's going to be the opposite. Right. The Fed's going to be behind the ball. We're going to find out the market's already running. We've already, we've already hit a bottom. Yep. And then they're going to come out and say, hey, guys, We're going to switch
0: courses. Yeah, exactly. Now, all that's assuming you don't have a credit event, you know. But assuming that, you know, you don't have that, and hopefully we won't, right? We don't want a credit-related event. Just there's a risk of it because of monetary policy. But uh, Danny's absolutely right. Market's always going to lead the markets. So, Um, all right, quick break. Come back on the other side. uh, We'll pick up with, you know, uh, kind of the markets, money, Uh, Some other topics don't go away right here for The Real Investment Show. Be right back.
1: Advice Blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. If your portfolio looks more like a horror show, you won't want to miss our next Candid Coffee on dealing with bloody markets. No tricks, just treats from Richard Rosso and Danny Radcliffe with some not-so-spooky ideas to budgeting and how to maximize your cash. Don't be spooked by markets or Danny's bathroom. On our next Candid Coffee, Saturday, October 1st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com Candid Coffee with Ratcliffe and Rosso <laughs> realinvestmentadvice.com You're listening to the Real Investment Show.
0: Welcome to the show this morning or say back to the show this morning. Danny Ratliff joining me as well. Of course, you know, one of the things um, that has an uh, you know, interest, rising interest rates has an impact on not just the bond market is people with lump, you know, pensions that have a lump sum option available to them. And, and you know, here in Houston, a lot of oil companies, you know, there's not that many companies anymore. The, the number of companies that provide pensions to their workers is a dwindling number and that's been that's been a a thing in process now for the last 20 years as 401ks became a a more viable option for employees and and companies go oh wait I can take all that liability off my books and shove all the liability for retirement saving onto the individual good with that right (laughs) and and they did and 401ks have worked out horribly for most Americans but Um, The pensions, um, you know, while they are slowly going away, they are still there. And one of the issues or one of the choices that you have with a pension, if you're not familiar with this, is you can either take a stream of payments over time um, when you retire and your pension kicks in, you'll get a monthly check for the rest of your life and potentially, depending on how you set it up, you have an option for you, you and your spouse, those type of things, right? So you pick your payment option, you get a payment stream for the rest of your life. The other option And the option that most advisors will tell you to take because they want your money to manage um, is the lump sum option. And the issue with the lump sum option is as interest rates go up, there's a discounted value of that future stream of payments that is calculated into the lump sum you get today. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you see people win the lottery and when you win the lottery, you know, they say, you know, you won a million-dollar lottery and you can have, you know, $10,000 a year for the rest of your life. And if you live long enough, you get more than a million dollars. Um, or you can have 60% of that value today. And that's, the, that's that discounted value for taking all your payments today. You, you take a, a discount. That's the way lump sums work. You know, for the last, what, Danny, last decade, You know people have come to us and they're like what should I do should I do the lump sum or should I do the stream of annuity payments and the answer has been very simple the stream of annuity payments because those payments were high enough they couldn't be replaced by a secondary market instrument so you were better off staying with you know the Exxon Mobil pension or whatever and taking that stream of payments however that is now changing well, you know, actually I can combat that just a little bit, right? Sure. So a lot
2: of people are taking lump sums or historically have because we're looking at the present value interest rate. And so when we talk about the pension, what they're actually going to be able to pay you, it's a lot less when interest rates are low because mm-hmm. they're encouraging you to take that lump sum. Right. So those lump sums are much higher. So now what we're seeing is, is that a lot of people are, they're, they're accelerating retirement because they know right now, they're looking at the numbers, they're doing the math and looking at the interest rate calculations. And it is becoming really detrimental if you want to take the lump sum, because those lump sums are going to start declining. And Mm -hmm. usually what happens is these, these corporations, they have a present value interest rate. There's several segments that they look at. They get these numbers from the IRS. And they will, those numbers are declining on a quarterly basis. So as we see these numbers decline... People are starting to become incentivized to go ahead and take those funds out if you're looking to take the lump sum. Hey, look, we can make a pros and cons list for both where, okay, pros, you want to take the lump sum, you retain access to the capital, there's more flexibility with it. um, You're going to be able to do what you want. Now, the cons are you're not going to be able to create that income stream, at least historically you are not able to with those same funds as you could with the annuity so remember when interest rates are very low they want to incentivize you to take that lump sum so that lump sum payment will go up the lower interest rates go because they can't go out and buy treasuries or whatever else they're going Mm -hmm. to buy that are going to offset that and historically what they're trying to do is they'd like to go buy treasuries at five percent and pay you out at four percent sure and make a little bit more money the pension fund is more solvent that has not been the environment that we've been in now with interest rates rising we're seeing that lump sum decline we're seeing the pension payout actually increase. So where they're, they're getting more comfortable paying you more and looking at life expectancy, and so people are receiving more. But here's the kicker, and we did touch on this briefly last week, and we've got a lot of questions on it, so we want to address this a little bit more, is that the kicker now is that we can actually go out on the secondary market and find other types of investments that will have that same type of income stream but higher. And you still retain control. You have some type of cash refund. You know, Lance, the biggest Mm -hmm. problem with most of these pensions is you don't have a lot of options. You have a single life option, meaning that you will get this payment for the remainder of your life if you pass. Or if you receive one payment and pass, those funds are gone, which is one of the biggest cons. And I think that's why many people elect to take the lump sum. Now, there's also a joint life. So you and your spouse, you would be able to receive that for the the remainder of either one of your lives. So both of your lives, if you pass your wife or your husband, uh, they, they're still here. They're going to get those payments until they pass.
0: So, and then, but then it's over. It's over. And, and if you take, your retire, the next day you take your retirement trip and both of you are killed in a car wreck, That's right. it's over. And so nothing to go to your children. That's your right. Estate.
2: Now you can do period certain where you'll have a five year, 10 year, 15, 20 year period certain meaning that during that time frame, if you were to pass, then your beneficiary would receive those payments for the remainder of that time frame. So, Everybody looks at this a little bit differently. It's going to be contingent on, you know, life expectancy, uh, the health of, of you and your spouse, what other type of income you have coming in. But one of the bigger caveats that we found recently is that now we're able to go out, purchase a joint life if, you're, if you have a partner, and uh, purchase some type of joint life annuity, and then turn around and have something called a cash refund on it that is going to allow you or your heirs to benefit if you were to pass. So similar to taking the lump sum, but actually being able to utilize the best of both worlds in the sense that, okay, you take the lump sum because you want to retain flexibility. You want to make sure that you have these, should that instance or that example Lance just used, Mm -hmm. if that were to occur, that your, your family gets those funds. Well, so now... We're able to do kind of the best of both worlds right and that's what the beauty of this current interest rate environment is
0: yeah exactly and that's what i'm saying is like you know for the first time that we've had in a decade you can actually you know make a a valid recommendation because again you know, a lot of people were saying you know a lot of advisors love pensions because they're like yeah take the lump sum give it to me i'll invest it for you and the investments don't turn out well right yeah and you know just it doesn't you know create that opportunity and and the long time you know the big challenge over the last decade has been saying hey you know with with reasonably clean conscience saying yeah take the lump sum and invest it in the stock market because you're going to make more money and that that really hasn't been the case and you know for most people yeah. right you just take a look at the average investment return um but now you can actually do that with certainty about what that money is going to generate and, and again you know there's there's you know two points to any retirement plan which is you have your investable assets that you're investing in markets at risk And then you have these other streams of income that are securing your retirement in terms of income, being able to pay your bills, you know, those type of things. And that's part of what the good financial planning part does as well as determining what that base income is needed just to fund your lifestyle. Then that allows you to put the rest of the money at risk to create that additional rate of return that you're looking for for the, the luxuries
2: in life. Well, that's that's right, Lance. I think the, the bigger thing here is that understand that you need to do a financial plan. You need to understand, okay, what are your scenarios? What if you take the lump sum? What does that look like? What if you take the pension? Um, and then there could be a combination of the two. Some of these actually will allow you to take a lump sum for a portion and then retain a, potent, a pension for the other portion where maybe it's half of it, a quarter of it, or even 75%. So that's another nice kind of aspect that some of these companies will allow for. But a plan needs to be done. You know, Lance, a lot of times we see that plans work both ways. You could take the lump sum or you could take the pension. Um, Now with, you know, kind of what we've, we've seen over the last month or two, that's changed a little bit as far as what we can actually do with the funds outside of it versus just saying, hey, let's take the lump sum and invest it. But there are times that it's pretty cut and dry, and it may be because we don't have enough, non-discretionary um you know income coming in to meet those non-discretionary expenses and i think that's the big aspect you want to create that floor where you say hey you know what i don't have to sweat this i know exactly what i need to keep a roof over my head to be clothed fed protected and let's meet those expenses there's certain ways you can do that now a lot of people that's with social security that may be a pension income or other income that you're generating outside of your typical 401k or other types of investments and look, this may not pertain to a lot of you guys out there. I know pensions are they are kind of like the dinosaur. They've been extinct um, you know, with the advent of the 401k. Fewer and fewer companies are using these. But if you have them, this is a very important time to kind of start to understand what does that mean for you? What does it look like? And, you know, Lance, one thing that we're seeing, we get a lot of phone calls about, hey, I need to go and take this pension lump sum because these rates are changing. I'm going to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. And while that's true... Sometimes you just can't retire. You're you're not there yet, and so trying to find a job in this type of market environment is is, is could be, it could be a little more difficult than usual.
0: That's right. So um, just real quick, though, I mean, just you know, before we get to the break, you know, again, there's there's you know, annuity options finally actually are, are valid, but then there's other aspects to that as well. That because interest rates have come up, we're seeing better payouts on really a lot of even even whole life policies um, on the cash value that they pay those rates are starting to come up. So, you know, again, as we talked about earlier, for the first time there is an alternative, you know, to cash and there's actually becoming an alternative to stocks as well in other vehicles. Just, but this is why, you know, it's always important to kind of review all of these different tools that are available to you in the toolbox and saying, what's the best mix of these tools to get my particular you know h- retirement house built
2: what well, has to be holistic you have to exactly. look at each and every one of these options understand you know all the assets that you have take an inventory then make sure you understand and your advisor understands exactly how they work together because that's the important part i see so too many times you know we, we talked about uh, i brought up the the four-letter word annuity and you know people are like oh my gosh this is terrible we'll never talk to somebody because they do this but the problem is, is many times just because they've been sold they don't understand the big picture, and that's where we get in trouble. So make sure you plan for them. We always believe annuities should be planned, not sold. Same thing with any type of insurance.
0: Yeah, that's why I, that's why I own an annuity because we're in a, you know, judgment happy environment. So yeah, it's a it's a great tool to have if you know what you're using it for. All right, quick break. We'll be back. Uh, wrap up the show with Danny Ratliff. Don't go away.
1: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. If your portfolio looks more like a horror show, you won't want to miss our next Candid Coffee on dealing with bloody markets. No tricks, just treats from Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff with some not so spooky ideas to budgeting and how to maximize your cash. Don't be spooked by markets or Danny's bathroom. On our next Candid Coffee, Saturday, October first. Register now at RealInvestmentAdvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. RealInvestmentAdvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And
0: welcome back to the show, of course. As um, you know, one thing we always find out after the fact is with government programs, uh, particularly aid programs and packages that are just quickly thrown together without any real thought have a lot of unintended consequences. And of course, you know, we go back to 2020 and we talk about the, you know, everything from the direct checks to households that, that have now sparked, you know, this massive inflation in the economy and, you know, the PPP programs and the payroll protection programs and all the other assistance that was provided. And we quickly threw this stuff together and said, hey, you know, we just got to get this stuff out. You know, people need help. We shut down the economy. Got to send money. And the problem is, is these things are never done with any forethought about the consequences. As I said, you know, send checks to households. That's awesome. If you do that with a shutdown economy, you're going to get inflation. Basic economics, 101, supply and demand. Nobody really thought that through. Right? So... You know, the other side of this, of course, is also is when you do this and you don't have any safeguards in place. Well, you know, people are pretty smart, right? And they, they say, you know, nothing, if you want to find out if something's foolproof, hire a fool, right? So, you know, uh, people took a lot of advantage. We, you know, we talked about on the show before is that people took all kinds of advantages of these programs, the extended unemployment benefits. You know, people were just, you know, piling in to claim unemployment benefits that were completely fraudulent. Uh, Mark Hicks, who is a rapper called Kafani, Just sentenced to seven years in prison. He is a career a career fraudster, by the way, and a rapper. At least he gets, you know, he's got a twofer on his on his sheet, right? Um, He's been sentenced to seven years in prison for running an intricate scam in which he used stolen identities to apply for mortgages and then buy gold bars. Now, look, applying for a mortgage and getting approved, even using a stolen identity, is is pretty elaborate because you need bank records, tax records. You know, all that. So that is not an unsophisticated program he had going on. Forty eight in Minnesota have been charged with stealing two hundred and fifty million dollars from the pandemic aid programs. Again, just, you know, this is, you know, the ongoing problem with this again, you know, payroll protection program, small business loans. People are just running out creating businesses out of thin air and then applying for PPP, right? And we saw a lot of this was actually done by international citizens that were setting up programs to take payroll protection program funds back overseas. So again, just this is the problem, of course. Now this all becomes a liability of the taxpayer. And now that $5 trillion in debt, and this is you know, one, one of the interesting things, is that when we talk about you know, the, this money that's out there, and you know, the uh, recently we wrote an article about uh, the Biden administration talking about how they've reduced the deficit this year, and and they didn't really reduce the deficit. What happened was is that we spent five trillion in pandemic, you know, funds, and we didn't this year. So that surge in spending, that deficit, because how how do we calculate the deficit? how much you spend by how much you bring in. Well, we're not spending what we spent in 2020 and 2021, so. The revenue we have coming in relative to what we're spending has a reduced deficit, right? But you're actually spending more than we were pre-pandemic on a, on a regular trend. But we're still stuck with all the debt, right? So the deficit, yes, the what we're spending versus what we're bringing in is down from where it was in 2020. But we still have all the debt, right? And so taxpayers have to deal with all this. And that's going to be a long-term economic consequence as debt has to be serviced.
2: But we're spending less,
0: Lance. I mean, yeah, that, but on a linear trend, we're spending more. No, I know, I know. But that, that's been the,
2: the you know, everybody's beating the drums that hey, look at this. We're we're not spending as much as we previously were. Well, all the stimulus is gone. So, of course, you're not um, now servicing that debt. How problematic is that going to be if interest rates continue to rise?
0: Well, it's already pro- we've got some of the highest debt service ever right now because yeah. a interest rates have gone up and B, you have a tremendous amount more debt, right? We're at over 30 trillion in debt in a 22 plus trillion real, you know, economy, right? So you're running in excess of 100% of debt to GDP, which, you know, that's problematic long-term. When you're over 100% of debt to GDP, that reduces your GDP growth by 1% annually, just from that alone. So, you know, by the time we get through this pandemic-driven surge of uh, artificial growth, and that all reverts back, as as the Fed is talking about, they're going to be dealing with Sub-trend or below-trend economic growth. So we're talking about economic growth that is going to be trending below two percent going forward. So even the Fed's long-term projections are at one point eight percent right now, which is not the type of prosperous economy that you're looking for to grow to grow wealth and economic equality, right? So,
2: yeah. Well, even even with what they did with artificial stimulation here, there was no. E- equality here between wealth growth, right? Right. I mean, the rich got richer. And, well, it's and because ninety percent
0: of the people, the ninety percent of the markets, owned by the top ten percent of income earners. Yeah. So, and you can thank the Fed for that too. <laughs> so, you so, it's know. a vicious cycle. How do you get out of it? Well, you know, eventually the markets are gonna. It, it look. If the eventually the Fed is gonna have to stop intervening in the markets with monetary accommodation the market will reset and then you'll get income inequality because at that point you know that 90 percent of the market that's owned by the top 10 percent they're the ones that will get impacted by a, a market that resets right uh the economy will go through a deep recession you will have debt get blown out right and and a lot of people are going to file for bankruptcy banks are going to take a big hit you can't bail them out again They're going to have to just deal with the consequences of issuing out loans that they shouldn't have loaned out. And they they knew better to start with, but they did it. Um, But you've got to allow that reversion in the economy. And then when you do that, you're going to get wealth equality because, again, the the, the people that are saddled with the debt, they're going to get expunged of a lot of that debt. They'll have an ability to reset their life, get back on financial track, get out from under that debt. The rich who own all the debt and all the assets – They're gonna take it on the chin on that side, so you're gonna balance all this out. So you say they're they're gonna but but mind you, nobody wants to do that. Yeah. Right. Well, but it's gonna face some type of austerity at some point, which we well can't do. We can, but we won't. Japan's been messing with it for 30 years, so you know, it's well my point is is that it's not likely gonna happen in our lifetime. You know, this these situations can stay this way. And again, Japan's a really good example of this, you know there's no and there's no incentive for the central banks to allow a reset in the markets yeah
2: right no that's true i mean they they, they want to keep their job and politicians want to stay in office absolutely not
0: and and the wealthy want to stay wealthy yeah
2: and that's <laughs> who keeps them in office that's
0: who keeps them in office right so it it's 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 just the way it is and this is why you're seeing this rising call for socialism you're you're seeing a very frustrated younger population coming up you know wanting opportunity and they feel like they don't have an equal shot at it. And so they they feel like the only answer is is to have more socialistic policies, right? Free school, free health care, you know, all these type of things. And that's all great. There's nothing wrong with it. I was listening to a guy on the internet a couple of days ago talking about how we're this rich country and we need to have socialized health care. Sounds great, except it doesn't work. You know, if you want, you know, the reason people fly to the US to go to memorial, you know, down you know, in downtown Houston for their cancer care or heart care, whatever. because we have the very best doctors in the world and they're paid for it. You go to a socialized program. There's no incentive to have the best. Everybody becomes average and you get average care. And that's what you get in Europe. And and that's and and that's interesting because my son went to Germany under this idea is like, oh, I'll get free health care. He's now finding out that free health care really sucks. Um, That's twice I've used that word today. (laughs) <laughs> because, like, he's, you know, he's, he, you know, he, he's got a, a problem with his gallbladder. He goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, looks at him, kind of eyeballs him, and says, here, yeah, take this medicine and, and call me in three weeks, right? It, you know, no, no MRIs, no nothing to, to see what the problem is, just the base solution. Well, but and even then,
2: if he needed actual surgery on that, the problem is the waiting time for that. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of doctors in foreign countries that come here to actually pay out-of-pocket for surgery because they know one how long it will be and two um they, they don't think it's worth it to and it's
0: also why you have two levels of healthcare: care you have the public health care system in europe and you have the private that rich people pay for yeah right so anyway uh, the, the point is though is that socialism sounds great um the consequences are it brings everything down to average and that's what you get and, and it's just you know but again nobody wants that to happen Right. You know, there's all these calls for socialistic policies, but in reality, the people that control the economy, again, your politicians, your Fed officials, your central banks, the rich, you know, they don't want they don't want that reset because it's not beneficial for them.
2: Well, and and frankly, it's not beneficial for anybody because if it truly happens, I mean, we've seen we're beginning to see those the confirmation of what we've thought for a long time. Mm -hmm. Right. We're seeing layoffs. But it's not those mass layoffs. It's more with, yeah. you know, it's, it's the white collar. It's the management. Yeah. And that's, that's changed significantly from what we've seen in, in prior recessions. So does that change, too, where it impacts everyone and then everybody feels it even more?
0: Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you're going to have – eventually, at some point, layoffs are going to tick up sharply. That's just a function of, of where we're headed right now. It just hasn't yet. Yeah. And, you know, so we'll, you know, probably, you know, two more sets of rate hikes. We get into 23 two more after this one so you know uh we get into 2023 you get a recession sometime in first second quarter that's where you see your layoffs pick up you're gonna see your, your unemployment rate will go up you're probably talking six to seven percent unemployment rate somewhere north of four to five hundred thousand in unemployment claims and that's where the fed's going to realize they've made a policy mistake and start talking about cutting rates starting back on qe stopping qt you know we're just not there yet it's it's early yeah The problem
2: is, do you actually give the the system a chance to cleanse?
0: No, no, of course not. You know, that's, while we all know that's what should happen, nobody, as I said, nobody nobody wants it it to happen, happen, right? And nobody will let it happen because, again, from the Fed's point of view, if you allow the system to reset, which would be healthy, your major banks would go out of business, the average person would be in bankruptcy, and while that would be great long term – Nobody is willing to go through that pain to allow that structure to happen. And again, so that's why you just keep repeating the process over and over again. So, but we'll have a good bull market out of it. So, there you go. <laughs> that's all, all right. that matters, Lance. Wraps up the show. Well, for the 10% that own 90%, that's all that matters. Yep. Uh, all right. Wraps up the show for the day. Be back tomorrow with Michael Leibowitz. We'll obviously be covering everything the Fed says this afternoon reviewing what's happening with the markets uh where all this is heading to and what happens next i'll be on tomorrow's edition of the real investment show in the morning stick around three minutes on markets and money be up here shortly